Take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this evening. This message is our fifth in a series of six on parenting. Our last message will be as the children get older. That will be our next message. I want to say as the kids get older, but sometimes people get mad about that. You shouldn't call children kids. Well, I do. So, but for anybody like that, it'll be as the children get older. But tonight I want to call your attention to one verse, and I want to build on it with a number of practical thoughts. It says in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now in this series, we've been talking about many aspects of parenting. And sometimes there are some things that need to be said that just don't seem to fit in some other messages. And so I'm taking one message to fit in all those things that I really wanted to say somewhere else. So that's what this is tonight. But let's pray before we go any further. Our Father, we thank you for children. We thank you, Lord, that you entrust them to parents. And we pray for the children of this church family. We pray that you would lay your hand on each of them to draw them unto yourself. And we pray that you would give parents wisdom to be the best parents they can be. That these young people will grow up to love you and to serve you. And we pray that all who are parents and all of us would grasp truth from your word about parenting. That we might uh, carry on our ministry to children in a way that will reach them, uh, show love to them and draw them to the Lord Jesus, whom we love. So we'll thank you for what you'll do tonight. We ask and pray for your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, there is a warning that follows the challenge of verse 1. We've talked about this a little bit before, where in verse 1, children are addressed. And children are told this, children obey your parents in the Lord. And every child ought to hear that. That's a message that ought to be proclaimed loudly and clearly today to young people. Obey your parents. But then God comes back and he speaks to parents. And especially he identifies dad. And he says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And as you have perhaps heard in the past, the term provoke and the term wrath are the same term in the original language. And the idea is, fathers, don't provoke your children to the point that they get provoked. In other words, dads and parents generally have great responsibility in this whole matter of parenting. How you parent makes a difference. How you handle your child makes a difference. And then it goes on and says, but bring them up in the nurture an admonition of the Lord. The term nurture is a term that means to instruct or to train, to discipline. It's kind of a, a broad term. 
And so it says, parents, look, don't provoke your children to the point that they get provoked, but understand your responsibility is to nurture them, to train them, to discipline them, to instruct them, and then also it says, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. And the term admonition comes from two little terms. The one is the Greek term nous, which means mind, and the second term is a little term tithemi, which means to put. And so admonition is to put into the mind of children the right things. Now that's what parenting is all about. You don't provoke your kids to wrath, but you train them, you discipline them, you instruct them, and you put into their mind the right things, the things of God. Parents sometimes do harm to their own children. Sometimes they hurt their children through anger or frustration. There isn't a parent here tonight who hasn't gotten angry. Probably not a parent here who hasn't gotten frustrated. Uh, sometimes we harm our children because we don't understand them. We don't discern their needs. We don't discern their problems. And many times we therefore respond improperly to their words, their actions, their attitudes. Many times we as parents, you know, expect more of our children than we expect of ourselves. Say, oh, well, I'll get mad because I'm dad. Don't you get mad. Or I get frustrated, I'm dad. I'm allowed. You're not allowed. You're the child. Well... Sometimes we can harm our own children by not understanding them and responding properly to them. Every child is born, according to the Bible, with a sinful heart. Every one of us were born with a sinful heart. And as we noted last week, foolishness is bound or working or conspiring in the heart of the child. And our responsibility is to take him toward a, a full consciousness of God and to make sure that he with a sinful heart doesn't ultimately reject God and turn away from God. What are some of our obligations? Mom and dad, guide your child's heart. Guide his spirit. Don't break it. The Bible warns of the broken spirit. You ever seen a child with a broken spirit? I have. You probably have too where parents have expectations of them and, uh, that are unrealistic and discipline them unfairly and tell them what to do but don't live a godly life before them and you see a young person grow up and their spirit is broken. They have no heart for God. They have no heart for their own folks. You and I must guide that spirit, not break it. On the other hand, we do have to break the child's will. Many parents don't understand that. You as a parent must break your child's will. You have to bring your child's will into conformity to your will, which in turn ultimately should mean conformity to the will of God. Every child has a will, a will to do certain things. They make certain choices. And the parent's job is to break the will and just go out into the malls and go out into the community and hopefully not in your own living room, but you'll find children whose will is manifesting itself rejecting parental authority. Mom and dad, if you don't break your child's will, someday that child will break your heart, break his will. The parent is to develop his child's mind. When you think about the mind in Scripture, there are at least two aspects of it, his understanding and his thinking. And the parent's obligation to a child is to develop that mind spiritually. A child has to be taught to think spiritually. And you only do that with this Bible. 
It's the only way you do it. If you simply go through life telling your child, do this, do that, sit down, stand up, go here, go there, and you never instruct this child in the things of God, then you will never develop his understanding spiritually. That's an obligation. And then at the same time, you and I are responsible as parents to develop them spiritually through their thinking. Sometimes people don't think right. You know any adults who don't think right? Sometimes I counsel with people, and that's what I want to say to them. You know, you don't think right. Well, unfortunately, children often don't think right. And as a parent, it's my obligation and yours to help that child think right, to make them realize, hey, your mind is going off in a direction that is totally messed up. And I need to help you think correctly. And again, that brings us back to this book. This Bible will tell you how to think. This Bible will tell you what's good thinking and bad thinking. And parents are given the responsibility of ministering to the mind of the child. To develop a child's mind is not simply academics. It's to think and understand spiritually from a godly perspective. It's my job. It's your job. As a parent, I have to secure my child's emotions. If there's anything that most children today lack, it is emotional security. And mom and dad, you're responsible for that. How do you do that? How do you secure their emotions? Well, number one, discipline. Children desperately need discipline. In a permissive age that people say, hey, let them go, no. Children need discipline. Children need rules. Children need structure. They need to know this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. And they thrive under discipline and rules. Give them rules. They also find security through consistency. We've touched on that in this series already. You can't have one rule one day and you, you break your own rules the next day because you're in a different mood. Children need consistency. They need to know, hey, my mom and dad are the same every day. Don't you find great security in knowing that you serve a God who is the same every day? You never have to wonder how God is going to respond. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. And you always know where God stands. Well, your children need to know where you stand. They need to know if I do this today, I'm in trouble. And if I do it tomorrow, I'm in trouble. But if I do that, that's good. And if I do it tomorrow, it'll still be good. Security. And children need the security of love. Where we say to a child, I love you, and I'll always love you. And nothing can shake that love. You know, there are many, many children today who are in step families or adoptive families. And especially adoption has become quite a, a trend. And I hate to use that word. It sounds rather uh, light and sh uh, shallow. But... Uh, it, is, it has almost become quite a trend in our country to adopt, especially to adopt from another country. But I want you to know that what is happening in many, many homes, the, the family that is a step family and the, the adoptive family, and sometimes in the biological family too, is that parents hold love over children. And they make statements like this, if you don't straighten up, we will send you back. We'll send you back. 
And you might sit there and say, that's horrible. It, yes, it is, but it's happening. It's happening. We'll send you back. Or in a step family, we'll send you to your real father. We'll send you to your real mother. We'll, we'll send you away. Biological parents, well, you know, we can put you in a school. We'll send you away. Listen, mom and dad, never, never, ever threaten your child with that kind of thing. And sometimes it happens in the biological family as the child gets older. And sometimes parents say, you know, you will do it our way or we will put you out of here. And sometimes that comes under the heading of tough love. And while there is a place for tough love, that concept is sometimes not scriptural. The love of God for us can never, ever be broken in any way. It is an undying love. And your love for your child, stepchild, adopted child, natural child, must be as steady and solid as can be. I love you. And nothing you can ever do will ever call that into question or diminish it in any way. Children desperately need that kind of security. And then I have an obligation toward his conscience to sharpen his conscience. The series not long ago, we talked about sanctifying the total person. We talked about you and me as spirit, soul, and body, and what that means. And a part of the soul is the conscience, that knowledge that is with you, that tells you what is good and what is bad, and when you're okay, and when you're guilty. And a parent toward his child has the obligation to sharpen his conscience. Sometimes we don't do that. For instance, your child might do something wrong, and a very typical response of a parent to a child would be something like this. Why did you do that? And you know that your child always has a reason for doing that, don't they? Sure they do. They always have a reason. And if I simply say to them, why did you do that? I am simply appealing to their emotion and I'm going to bring a response from them. Why they did it. Listen, it doesn't matter why they did it. If they have violated the rules of the home. And so the parent has to go after the child's conscience. And you say to your child, what did you do? Why? Because I want him to experience guilt. I want him to know, hey, this was the rule, this was the standard that my mom or dad set up, and I did wrong. I violated the standard. What did you do? I did this. Was it right or wrong? Well, it was wrong. Okay. And as soon as my child knows that he was wrong, then he will accept the punishment, the discipline, knowing he deserves it. Do you have any idea how many kids grow up getting disciplined along the way, convinced they didn't deserve it, right? I didn't deserve it. My parents are unfair. I did that, but I did it because he did that. And listen, the issue is right or wrong. Mom and dad, sharpen the conscience of your child. We've talked about that conscience. It can become defiled. It can become seared. And you and I need to have a good conscience, and our children need to have a good conscience. And so as a parent, and you think of this challenge of Ephesians 6, 4, what are you to do? Don't provoke your child to wrath with inconsistency or threatening uh, the loss of love or whatever it might be, but you bring your child up training and discipline and instructing and you put into their mind the things of God and when you do all that, it is you going after the total person of your child, his spirit and his soul and his body and bringing him as a total person into harmony with the word of God. Parenting is an awful lot of work. 
It's an awful lot of work. And I don't know if parenting has ever been taken as lightly in this world as it is taken today. People think very, very little about conceiving a child. They think very little of it. It just means little to people to conceive children. And the proof is that one-third of all conceived children are put to death before they are ever born. So to conceive life doesn't mean much in our society. But that child conceived will exist forever. And if that child is brought to birth and entrusted to you and to me, then the total person of that child becomes parental responsibility to go after his spirit, to go after his soul, to go after his body, and to seek to bring all of that into harmony with this book. Let me give you some practical thoughts in a follow-up to last time's message, which we call Paddling with a Purpose. What do you do in the process of paddling anyway? Let me give you some things to maybe put down on a list or get the tape or whatever it is. But you know our first obligation as a parent is to be sure that our children understand their instructions. You know that? I have an obligation as a parent to make sure my child knows what I want him to do. So you don't give instructions while you're running through the living room, heading for the car and going off to the mall, and as you're halfway out the door, by the way, before I get back, make sure this is done, that's done, this is done, and then you come back and it's not done and your child is called before you. Didn't I tell you? No, well, no, I didn't, I didn't even hear you. You have to make sure your child understands the instructions. One of the ways to do that is what we talked about the other week, eyes, mom and dad. You give your child instruction, you make them look you right in the eyes, and you say, do you understand what I want you to do? And with eyes fixed on your eyes, they have to say yes. Then you might even have them resp you know, respond and repeat it. What, what did I tell you to do? You said to do this and to do that and to do that. Good, you understand then, right? You never paddle a child until you know that they understood the instructions. If you ever have to paddle your child, do it privately. You know, some parents think that somehow paddling is all about public embarrassment and public humiliation. Do you ever hear parents say something like that to a child? You do that again and I will discipline you right here in front of all these people. I'll discipline you right in front of your friends. How will you like that? Does that accomplish anything? Is the goal of parenting humiliation? Is the goal of parenting to embarrass our children? No. The goal of discipline in parenting is all about spiritual growth and development. And so if I'm going to discipline my child, it has nothing to do with what anybody else thinks. I'm convinced some people uh, paddle or discipline their children because they care what somebody else thinks. They think, well, if I don't discipline my child, you know, they'll think I just let my child get away. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about your kids. In time, everybody will know whether or not you are successful. You might have a little two or three-year-old who is an absolute terror. He's running around and he's jumping and whatever, you know, and they're looking at you like, doesn't that person ever do anything with that child? Listen, at about age 12 or 13 or 14, everybody will know. Don't ever discipline your children to satisfy anybody else. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. The only thing that matters is what you and I do before God. So public paddling or discipline or public humiliation means absolutely nothing. So we send our child to a private place. 
And when we have our child in that private place, we sit down and we talk to him and we say to him, do you understand why we're here? Do you understand what you did wrong? Do you understand why I had to send you away and we are meeting like this? Be in control. That's one of the reasons you send your child to his room or to a private place because you might be upset. And sometimes parents get the idea, I will intimidate my child. I'm going to yell at him and I'm going to slam the door and I'm going to bang things. The goal of parenting is never intimidation. You're not trying to scare your child. You're trying to train him. You're trying to discipline. You don't have to yell at your child. People look at, what? You don't have to yell at your child. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to scream. You don't have to bang anything. Talk to them. Sit down. Get them to, to look at you eye to eye. Make them realize what he has done wrong. Make them face the fact that he is guilty and therefore is worthy of that discipline. And then as we noted, appeal to his conscience. And as you deal with him, listen, mom and dad, point your child to the Lord. Anytime you discipline your child, it's to point him to the Lord. We said last time paddling is not using the rod of punishment. The Bible calls it the rod of correction. So if I have to discipline, I want to correct him. And the way I correct him is I make sure that I bring spiritual things into it. I need to teach him what sin is. Have you ever taught your child what sin is according to the Bible? That when you say do that and he does something else, that that's what God calls sin. And that's how I help a little one, two or three or four or five years old, come to realize that he is a sinner who needs to be saved. Because those things he does are what God calls sin. And it's because of that sin that the Lord Jesus died on the cross. And as early as I can get him to understand that he is a sinner before God and needs a Savior, the better off he is. And so I need to make this whole concept of discipline not simply that he finally does what I want him to do and I get some peace and quiet, but that I am moving him toward the Lord. And then as a matter of paddling him firmly, but not abusively. You know, there are Christian parents who abuse their children. We don't want to hear that. We think any time that term is used that, you know, somebody's out to, to get us. But I want you to know something. There are Christian parents who abuse their children. And if you are somebody who disciplines your child in anger and you're yelling and you're screaming and you're throwing them around and all that kind of thing, you are wrong. And don't ever take this Bible and hold it up to somebody and say, I have the right. You are wrong if you don't discipline God's way and in a God-honoring way. And every Christian parent needs to face that. Probably, my view, the Bible doesn't say, but probably three swats is sufficient to produce that sting that says, I want to reinforce to you that you have done wrong. Remember, our authority is not physical. It's not, boy, I'm going to paddle you until you cry. I'm going to... It isn't that. The paddling is a reinforcer, but the authority is not spiritual, mom and dad, or physical. The authority is spiritual. You're in charge because God put you in charge. And you are in charge for God, not for you. You're in charge for God. You're in charge as a representative of God. He is the giver of life. And you have been entrusted with this little life to win him to Christ and to make him do right. And so discipline is all about pointing him to the Lord. 
So the authority has to be spiritual. And if you paddle your child, you always make sure that when you're done, that you express your love to them. I love you are great words. A hug is a great expression of love. And when I have disciplined my child, I must never leave him in that condition of, of maybe crying or being upset or whatever. I always need to bring him back and assure him of my love. A hug that says, I love you. And then a fresh start. You send them out and the past is over. You don't bring it up again, but you send them out and give them a fresh start. Now, you know, even that kind of procedure, and again, you can't find chapter and verse for all the things I've just said, but that kind of procedure takes time. It takes time. Some of you have little boys that if you did that procedure every time, that's all you'd do all day long. You would send them out for a fresh start, and before you got out there, he'd be ready for the next one. But parenting takes time. Godly discipline takes time. Training a child takes time. But God gave you that child. Therefore, you must take the time. In a broader sense then, let me give you some other things to think about. Never slap or punch your child. I shouldn't even have to say that, but I know I need to. Never slap or punch your child. I've seen Christian parents slap their child. I have one Christian parent say this to me. Pastor, I know you said don't slap your child, but I just want you to know I slapped my daughter. Well, the way that daughter turned out proved the point. Never slap your child because you're not in charge again because you're physically bigger. You never punch your child simply demonstrating that you are, you know, physically stronger. That's not the authority God has entrusted to you. Again, your authority is spiritual authority. And you need to let your child know, I am paddling you because God told me how to do it and what to do in this book. Never slap, never punch, never shake, never throw your child, never push your child. That will provoke a child to wrath. That will create bitterness that finds its way into the hearts of many Listen, Christian young people. Never threaten a child with something that you're not going to do anyway. You ever threaten your kids with things you're not going to do anyway? Now, I can remember my grandmother, my nana. I was very little. I'm pretty sure her butcher knife was at least that long. <laughs> But you know, unfortunately, one of the things that stands out in my memory of my nan, and she was not saved, but one of the things that stands out in my memory of her was her threat to cut my fingers off. You do that again, I'll cut your fingers off. Well, I'm grateful in that case it was a threat that she did not intend to follow through on. But you know something? You don't want to threaten your kids with things that you're not going to do. You need to think through things that you are going to do. And then you follow through so that your child soon understands this. You know, if my mom says this is what she's going to do, she always does it. If my dad says this is what he's going to do, he always does it. 
Because what happens is parents in their frustration make all kinds of ridiculous threats and pretty soon the kids come to realize he never follows through, he never does it anyway. One of my favorites is going on vacation. I don't know if I've illustrated this with you before or not, but the whole idea of going on vacation. Now let me ask you something. You plan a vacation and you've planned it for weeks and weeks and weeks and finally the time comes to go on vacation. Now you start off on the trip. How far do you drive before the kids start to get in trouble? Mile? Two miles? Not very far, right? Sure, you're, you're off on a vacation and all of a sudden the kids are in the back seat and they're fooling around. And so what do you do? Stop that fooling around. You're driving down the road. You stop that fooling around. Then I was always a, a knee squeezer. You a knee squeezer? Like you try to reach back and grab a knee, you know? Stop that fooling, you know? And you're trying to squeeze a knee and pinch them or something, you know? And they're back there like a, you know? Finally, in frustration, what do you do? You pull the car off the road and you turn around and you say this. If you kids don't stop that, we are turning around. We are going home. There will be no vacation. Have you ever been foolish enough to say that? Because guess what? They know you're the one who wants to go. They don't even want to go. And they're back there. <laughs> Never threaten what you will not do. And so think through. Threaten, do it. One warning you should give your children. One warning, not ten. Uh, Jennifer told us about being in the store one day and she heard a lady say this to her child. If you do that one more time, I'm going to give you a warning. <laughs> now what you want to do is give one warning. In other words, you say, now listen, this is what I want you to do and I'm giving you this warning. If you do not do it, you will be disciplined, whatever that discipline may be. One warning, because your goal as a parent is what? First time obedience. Isn't that your goal? So that when you say, pick that up, mm, I'll pick it up. That's the goal. And so if we go around warning, 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 I'm telling you kids, you better stop. I'm telling you, you better stop. I'm telling you, you're going to be in trouble. I'm telling you, nothing ever happens. But you teach your child this. You know, my dad gives one warning. He tells me what he wants me to do, and then he gives me one warning. And if I don't do it, I'm in trouble. That's how you train a child to do what is right. There are other things. Don't punish mistakes. Sometimes kids just make mistakes. You know that? Usually the milk spill is just a mistake. I mean, there aren't too many kids who come to the table and go, boom. <laughs> However, many kids come to the table and go, boink, and milk goes all over. Don't punish mistakes, mom and dad. Aren't you glad God doesn't punish your mistakes? And allow for their maturity level. We have many children represented in this church family. They're all at a different maturity level. And as a parent, I am obligated to understand that. In other words, let's suppose I have a little two-year-old. And I say to that little two-year-old, now listen, don't you ever do that again. Now what's that mean to a two-year-old? That might mean five minutes, right? They can't conceive, they can't understand. Never do that again. Now, I need to understand that. If I tell a two-year-old, never do it again, and he does it again two days later, didn't I tell you to never do that again? It means absolutely nothing. However, let me tell you something. If I have a 14-year-old, and I say to that 14-year-old, don't you ever do that again, uh, he better understand what never means. 
But you see, I'm responsible for that. Children, little children, have very short attention spans, right? And so they're bouncing all around through life. I can't give them one of these overall assignments for life. I have to understand where they are, what their level is. I have to understand when they're sick, when they're tired. I have to understand the nature of their rebellion. You know, sometimes kids are actively rebellious. Sometimes they're passively rebellious. And as a parent, I need to understand that child. I can't put all my kids in a box and deal with them all the same. Sometimes, again, they're tired. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Sometimes they're sick. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Sometimes they are actively rebellious. I'm telling him to do this, and he's yelling and screaming and running. Sometimes they're passively rebellious. You have one of those? It's kind of like, hey, you can paddle me all day long. I'm not crying. Now, they're not yelling, they're not screaming, they're not kicking. They're just standing there saying, dare you make me to cry? Very passive, very rebellious. Parent, you need to understand that. You need to figure your child out because foolishness is conspiring in that heart. And you have to get it out. Parents have to apologize when they fail their children. You know, Mom and Dad, we're good at failing our children. We're good at making promises and not following through. We're good at telling them, oh, we're going to go here, oh, we're going to go there, oh, we're going to do this, and we don't do it. And sometimes we need to come back to our own kids and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Sometimes we paddle the wrong child. Did you ever do that? Now, if you only have one or two, you really shouldn't have a problem with that, you know. But, but, you know, if you have five, like some families I know of, sometimes you can not be able to figure out who did it. Now, as a father, when my kids were young, I always wanted to know who did it. Maybe you're one of those fathers. And so if they did something wrong, I'd like to bring them in, you know, and sit them all down. Did you do it? No. Did you do it? No. You, no, you know, you know. Hey, no, wait a minute. One of you did it. I mean, your mother didn't do it, and I didn't do it. Now, one of you did it. Now, who did it? You do it? No. You no. You no. You no. Go to your room. You better go and think about this. You better pray about because I'm bringing you back here in five minutes. And in five minutes, I want to know who did it. You understand that? Now go to your room. Five minutes. Okay, everybody out here, sit down. Now, who did it? You do it? No. You no. You no. You no. You did it, didn't you? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I know you did because you always do it. Now I'm not going to tell you which one that was. You always did it. Now go to your room because you're going to have to be paddled. I didn't do it. Yes, you did. You go to your room, sit down. Don't you want to tell me that you did it? I didn't do it. Yes, you did. I'm going to have to paddle you. Paddle. Halfway down the hallway, there she comes. Daddy. Yes. I did it. You did it. I just paddled your brother. Sorry. Paddled your brother. Why don't you tell me you did it? Oh, I was afraid. Now, what do I do with the brother? I have to go back and say, I'm sorry, didn't I? I cannot say, well, there's lots of times he never got what he deserves, so just let him suffer. <laughs> no, I have to go back and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That's parenting. No favorites. You don't have to say that too often to mom and dad. There's a lot of grandparents here, so grandmom, I want to tell you something. No favorites. If you have a favorite, he or she knows. And you know what? Everybody else knows too. 
And if you want to do harm to your children or, or your grandchildren, you will somehow let yourself have favorites. You cannot do that for their sake spiritually as well as every other way. Make sure you compliment the good. We're good at picking out the wrong, aren't we? We're good at telling them, boy, when you did wrong, I'm tired of you doing wrong. Pick that up. Stop doing that. Start doing it. And then they do something right, and we never say, good job. We say they're supposed to do that. We ought to compliment the good. Hey, if they make their bed, praise the Lord. You are terrific. What a job. It is great. This is wonderful. Pick up their shoes, put their dishes away, whatever it might be. Great, good, man, this is great. Compliment the good. There's not one person in this room who does not appreciate a genuine compliment. But the kids were always on the negative, telling them what's wrong. Don't bribe for obedience. You ever see people bribe for obedience? Go to Giant. Go to one of these stores and watch parents with their kids. If you'll just be good when we get to the candy counter, I'll buy you candy more if you'll just be good. You don't bribe for obedience. They can't be obedient because of what they're going to get. They obey because you're in charge. Now, reward good? Sure. If you take them to the store and all the way around the store, they're good and they, they're obedient and they do the right thing, then hey, buy them something. Buy them a candy bar. Say, hey, this is because you were so good. God rewards. God doesn't bribe. But he rewards. Good. And you and I need to do that too. But we don't bribe for obedience. And then mom and dad, listen, don't bend because of other parents. Aren't kids good at using other parents? Well, his parents are letting him go. How many times we've heard that? Say, look, I don't care if the king of England is letting his kids go. You're not going. If you bend because of parents, you will bend for the rest of your life. Because I got news for you. There's always parents who will let their kids go. And your kids are smart enough to find them. So they know who it is. But your challenge in mind is to establish in our home good, godly, sound, biblical principles for our home life. And then you never bend. You never break the standards. Now, if you've got weird standards, change them. I mean, you're all a little strange, but I mean, if you're really weird, I mean, you've got really dumb standards, change them. Talk to some other parents. Find out what other people do. Find out somebody you can respect and say, hey, what do you do in your home? What do you do with your kids? You know, how late do you let them stay up? You know, what do you let them do? Where do you let them go? Find out. Talk to some people. And then draw some lines. And once you've established good, godly standards, don't bend. Hold the line. And listen, for all your days, as your children grow up bouncing through life, let there be a solid standard based on the Word of God and godly living on your part that says to your child, this is the way we live. And make them live that way. This is a tough one. Teach your child to stand alone. Every child represented in this church family is going to have to learn that. Just as you and I have to learn that. Now, it is nice when other people stand with us. But you and I have to learn to stand alone for what is right. I can remember when we had the Christian school that once in a while I would get uh, maybe a call from school secretary, Mrs. Speaker. She might say something like, well, you know, there's, there's some boys who want to come up to see you. Oh, good, send them up. So into my office they'd come, maybe three or four boys. They'd say, Pastor, 
we have decided to live for God. Good. It's a group decision. Yes, we've talked about it. We know we've been bad. We have decided to live for God. Well, it sounds very good, except for one thing. That never works. It never works. Because if a group decides to live for God, they will all make it as long as they all make it. But as soon as one goes, they'll all go. And every young person and every adult must learn that if need be, you will stand all by yourself for what you know is right. I remember reading the story of the church father Athanasius, whose persecutors taunted him by saying this, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius responded and said, then I am against the whole world. That's a great statement, isn't it? And somewhere along the line, that's where you and I will be when we wish there was somebody else to say, hey, I'm with you. But sometimes there isn't anybody else to say, I'm with you, except him. Paul's testimony in 2 Timothy was that all had forsaken him, but the Lord stood with him. And he took his stand. And as much as you and I hate our children to battle that kind of warfare, we must help every one of them to do it. To come to the place of realizing, listen, the day will come when your friends are going to want to go the wrong direction. And in that day, the test will be whether or not you will choose your friends or choose your God. May we help them in that day to choose their God. It's my responsibility. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Your child's response to your parenting is in many respects your responsibility. Anger, inconsistency, hypocrisy, and a host of other things that sometimes find their way into our life can be the very thing that causes our child to react to us instead of respond to us. To then reject the God we love rather than serve the God we love. And so mom and dad, don't provoke your child to wrath, but rather bring them up in the nurture, the training, the discipline, the instruction, and the admonition, the instruction by the word, putting it into their mind, the admonition of the Lord. Parenting. Great, great privilege that the God of heaven who gives life and takes life should let some of us bring forth life.